Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. As a financial advisor, you already know that people have more taboos talking about money than talking about sex, but few people have drilled down and explored their reluctance to discuss finances more than this episode's guest, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. Besides being a serial guest on this podcast, Kathleen is a wealth psychology expert, founder of KBK Wealth Connection, host of the Breaking Money Silence podcast, and author of five books on the psychology of money, and the release of the most recent is the reason for us to visit with her again. As an expert on financial psychology, Kathleen has been quoted in such publications as The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Money Magazine, Today Magazine, Forbes, Forbes Woman, Her articles have appeared in American Banker Magazine, CNBC, Investment News, and other trade and consumer magazines. In this episode, we discuss the new book, Breaking Money Silence, How to Shatter Money Taboos, Talk Openly About Finances, and Live a Richer Life. We'll discuss the real cost to clients of money silence and the implications for financial advisors. We'll talk about the revelations she had about her own money silence with her husband after a contractor made off with tens of thousands of their dollars. We'll talk about how helping clients break money silence can improve your relationship with clients, and of course, we will get her take on how it affects referrals. So, without further delay, let's go to our conversation with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury. KBK, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. I'm so excited to be here with you uh, both again uh, today. I'm really excited to talk about my new project. Well, we're very excited about it too. I, we had a great conversation with you before, and we're very excited to have uh, to have you back to talk about the new one. So, so let's so let's just jump into it and keep the listeners riveted. So, tell us about talking about money versus talking about sex versus talking about death. Well, if we hadn't got your attention now, nothing. That's right. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things with my um, new book, Breaking Money Silence, is, you know, I started to explore why is there such a taboo against talking about money? And then I started to look at some other taboos. And what I discovered was that 44% of Americans would rather talk about uh, death, religion, or politics than they want to talk about personal finances. And I thought, wow, you know, that's that's pretty horrifying when you think about it. And that's so really delving deeper into why is that? And certainly as advisors, you know, what can you do about it? Because, you know, your job is to help people talk about money. So that's quite a dilemma. And so do you have, um, so how, how do advisors help people with that? I mean, how do you, you know, given that, that they're you know, it is such a sensitive topic. What, what are, well, let's, let, let's not go there just yet. Cause there are some things we want to talk about before that, but, but, um, you know, where, where did this, where did this topic come from? Where, where did, um, you know, what have you had your own experiences with, with difficulties talking about money and having money silence? I certainly have. And I think anyone who lives in this society probably has had a moment or a couple moments in their life where, uh, talking about money has been uncomfortable. And I know for me, from a very early age, I was loud and I had something to say. So it's kind of fun that I became a keynote speaker and an author. Um, but when I was a kid, I was often um, taught about money, the dollars and cents about money. But we never really talked about the values or the goals. And certainly there was an underlying message that you shouldn't be too successful. Like it was okay to take care of yourself and save and make a good living. 
But if you really were profit motivated, especially if you were a woman, then that was something to really um, squash and something to, you know, we just didn't talk about it. And I got the message loud and clear uh, that anytime I wanted to make a profit, even when I was a little girl and started a dog walking service, um, that I think that <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit was a little bit squashed. And so what ended up happening for me is I became really good at the technical side. I mean, I used to work in banking and I was an auditor and, you know, I certainly could balance a, a checkbook or a bank. Uh, but I couldn't really talk about money with my partner. And really, as I started to have more and more success from a business standpoint, I had a lot of trouble accepting the financial success. And so would do all sorts of things, um, looking back to sabotage myself and make sure that I wasn't making too much money. Um, so yes, I personally have struggled with this. And, and the good news is I've overcome it. And life is much better when you have a sense of peace with money. It's, yeah. And, and, and it just in terms of being able to communicate with your partner, you in your book, you, you tell a, a funny story about, well, not a funny story, but a, a, an important story, an interesting story about, about you know, some of the challenges you've experienced talking about money with your partner, specifically in terms of, of having a, an experience with a contractor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And it actually is funny in hindsight. At the time, it wasn't funny. But, uh, you know, one of the things in my relationship, like a lot of people, you know, when I met my husband, Brian, and we were dating, it became very clear that I was, in quotes, good at money, and he was not good at money. And so I did what any, you know, self-respecting former banker would do, and I took complete control over the finances. <laughs> and so when we got engaged, one of the first things we did, looking back, this is horrifying, but one of the first things we did is go to the bank, and I made sure that I had a signature on all his money. And so I really took control. Well, you flash forward many years, uh, maybe 10 years into our marriage, and we decide to do a project on the house. And so he hires a contractor, and I certainly was part of that process as well. Um, but what ended up happening is the contractor ended up stealing, uh, basically abandoning the property and stealing a large amount of money from us. So all of a sudden, any tension that we had in our relationship was actually more intense, right? So I thought, wow, you're really stupid with money, and I'm really smart with money, and this happened. And we became kind of very distant and polarized. And so I became very obsessed with making sure that we were going to bounce back. Uh, had a lot of money shame, and my husband seemed to not be as focused on the money. <laughs> so one day I walked out to the uh, the mailbox, and uh, you know that'll give you my age. I got my bills in the mail. I walked out <laughs> to the mailbox, and I uh, picked up the mortgage, and I started to be panicky because here I was thinking, "Wow, you know, we got ripped off. We don't have enough money to pay the mortgage." And instead of um, you know yelling at my husband or you know, being, you know, a wife and being kind of nagging, I walked into the living room, and he was playing a video game. And I looked and I thought, well, something's wrong with this picture. And so I stopped him. And I said, Brian, I really need to ask you a question. And he, to his credit, put down his game console, looked up at me and he said, what? I said, when are you going to worry about money? Like we're in a really bad situation. And he thought about it. And then he finally, he just looked up at me goes, Oh, you know, I think it's when they take the car. I said, what? Because when we repo the car or when they take the TV That's set. That's pretty extreme. And in that moment, yeah. And in that moment, I realized, wow, we have very different views of money. We came from very different families around money. And while he, I don't think he's stupid with money, he got less financial training and actually is better at tolerating financial discomfort than myself. So flash forward, this was the beginning of my career in financial psychology. So I have that contractor who ripped us off to thank. 
Um, but you know, what, what I learned in that moment and what I talk about in the book is, you know, it, it really is important to open the lines of communication. And instead of judging each other around how you think and feel about money, learning about your partner's thoughts and beliefs, and then pulling on each other's strengths. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's been 15 years now and I'm, you know, he has a lot of strengths financially and he's mm-hmm. taught me a lot and I've taught him a lot as well. So surprise, surprise. Uh, we're in it together and talking about money more openly has certainly been. You know, good I, for apparently we're married to the same man, first of all, which is slightly, s- slightly uncomfortable. Uh, but, <laughs> and in fact, you know, Kathleen and I have uh, talked in depth about a lot of this because I, I remember having a conversation and we were talking about, you know, the industry. And the next thing you know, I was telling her in significant detail about every money issue I'd ever had. So, uh, <laughs> but, But, you know, I just love that you are talking about this issue because it it gets in the way of family unity. It gets in the way of marriages. It gets in the way of us, of, of us really succeeding. And I know people are, are uncomfortable with it. It, it kind of, it does exacerbate the, the, the resentments that, that exist and in, in not a dissimilar way. And I won't, I won't go into all the detail, but what, I, what I really remember finding out is when we began to have different conversations is we were able to figure out what we could come together on. You know, I was never going to make my husband an expert in finance. He had no interest, uh, first of all. Uh, but but we began to realize that we needed to create a shared vision. So it, it, it without those conversations, we probably never would have figured that piece out. But, you know, I'd love to know from you, what do you think the cost of this money silence is? How do you think this is impacting the clients of advisors, you know, around the country? You know, I, I think you've highlighted some of the costs that are out there. And I think the costs are too high. But if we look from a broader view, you know, from a societal perspective first, the cost is we live in a financially pretty illiterate world. And I think part of the reason we don't learn about finances uh, is certainly our schools don't teach about it on a regular basis, but also there's this discomfort talking about it. So as a parent, you know, you may want to teach the next generation about money, but you feel uncomfortable and you've been raised not to talk about it. So this silence kind of perpetuates this um, societal financial literacy, which I really think has come to a crisis. Now, when we're looking at individual clients or couple clients or family uh, clients of advisors, you know, just look to the high divorce rate. And that while I'm not saying money causes all divorces, it's often a very large factor. And so I think if we learn to talk about money, we could separate what are the financial issues versus what are some of the emotional issues. And maybe couples would um, become a little bit more stronger uh, by being able to discuss the finances. And I think, Julie, you and I kind of highlighted how once we broke through that silence in our relationships, well, it's not perfect. It certainly helps um, bring um, a sense of intimacy and a sense of teamwork. Uh, I also think that one of the big costs that advisors don't talk about and that I want to really bring to light with this work is the idea that not talking about money really impacts women. Um, I think a big part of why there's still gender inequality when it comes to pay is that there's so many messages to women about how you are not supposed to pay attention to money, that you know, it's not, you're actually not an attractive mate if you talk about money. And so I really think that that inequality uh, for your female clients is something that advisors could talk about. 
And lastly, and I think, you know, this is where it's going to hit home for advisors is that the biggest cost to advisors is if your clients aren't talking about money, they're not sharing with you if you're not talking about money. And I'm, you know, not just talking to dollars and cents. I'm talking about emotions, feelings, values. Ultimately, I think it costs advisors business because if you can truly connect around the emotional aspects and what money means to your clients and help them work through talking about money and teaching the next generation about money, then you've developed a bond that's really lasting. Uh, I can I can almost hear advisors saying, Look, I cannot go there. I am not a psychologist. I can't wade into this. How do you address that issue? I'd love that you yeah, asked that question yeah. because I have a, like a visceral response to that. Because when I'm out speaking, I get that question a lot. And so, you know, financial advisors, um, you know, well-intended, but the idea that somehow if you help your clients talk about the emotional aspects of money, that that means that you're a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist is actually ludicrous. Um, I actually I can say that because for 15 years I was a mental health counselor. I know what therapy looks like. I've done therapy. That is not therapy. Now, on the flip side of that, I also was in the world of mental health, right? And I hung out with these psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists, and they would say, oh, you know, we don't do money because, you know, anybody who's really focused on money is very greedy. So you have the financial services industry that's afraid to talk about feelings, right? They're feeling phobic. You have the counseling industry that's actually money phobic or money avoidant. And then you have the poor clients that are like, well, I guess we're not supposed to talk about it. If we're not supposed to talk about it in therapy and we're not supposed to talk about it in, and with our financial advisor, where the heck should we talk about it? So, you know, my idea is that financial advisors, and there are a lot of them out there, I think they may be in the uh, minority right now, but to sit with that discomfort, I mean, it probably was uncomfortable the first time you had to do a financial plan with a client or meet with a client. So this is just a new skill set that I really hope more and more advisors will learn to tolerate the discomfort and know that from that discomfort and from bridging the gap and having these conversations, Boy, you have some wonderful dialogues. You get to really know your clients and be really helpful. It may be flagging a discomfort that you have, and and that's worth examining, right? Because if if there's any part of a money discussion that my financial advisor feels uncomfortable having, that's a problem for me. Well, and and I think that advisors are people too. You Not know, I say all. that a lot. <laughs> it's like you live in the same. Society. I'm not pointing a finger of blame by any stretch. I, you know, I've been very transparent about my issues around money and the fact that, you know, you can get better at talking about money. And I think with advisors, um, you know, and even looking at the industry as a whole, if you look at conference schedules or the CFP program or any of, uh, you know, the colleges out there that are teaching about finance, there really should be more training. And I don't like this word, but this is what it's called on the soft skills, on the communication skills, on the identifying and labeling and validating your client's feelings, because that emotional data is really, I think, just as useful as the financial data in helping your clients achieve their uh, short-term and, and, and I, I, I don't think it's a, a good idea to refer to it as soft skills because, you know, it it's some of the hardest stuff that we have to talk about. Absolutely. And and I, don't, I think if we talked about it more routinely, sure. it wouldn't be so hard. I mean, having... You know, having 15 years of being a counselor, I know it's easier for me to sit and tolerate difficult feelings um, or somebody who's very excited. I mean, you know, you could talk about feelings and it could be, you know, positive ones as well that um, but I can tell you over time it gets much easier. And then what you learn, Steve, is that 
people really do want to talk about this. I mean, Julie, earlier you mentioned the idea of us starting that conversation and then we were really sharing things. I see that all the time. When I break money silence, the conversations I have are not just about money. They're about really interesting things. Some of the things that, that inhibit in the book um, talking about money um, are some of the myths that, that are that surround money that are, that are so out there. You know, what, what, for, for you, what are, what, are, what, what are, say, the top three um, money myths that create that money silence? You know, it's an interesting question because when I think money myths, there's so many out there and they're so personal. Um, but when I'm thinking about advisors and I'm thinking about the money myths that may uh, impact them in terms of the uh, money silence, I think of a couple of things. One is the idea that all men are financially literate and somehow all women are not. Now, I know that's very extreme, but if you look at a lot of uh, the articles out there or if you look at the way some of the research is presented, there's kind of this belief that, oh, the men have it all together and the women don't. Well, that's not true. Men just have been socialized not to admit when they don't know something. So I think that myth um, actually hurts the men because the men uh, or the male clients uh, have to act as if, and then they become more silent in the meeting as opposed to a, a gift that I think a lot of women have is being able to say, geez, I don't know. Can you help me? Can you educate me? But the dilemma is that when women do that, they're seen as not confident or not literate, when in fact you look at the numbers and both genders aren't that financially literate. Um, I think that's a big one. Another one that I think really hurts uh, financial advisors is the idea that somehow women in general aren't interested in finance. If you look at the statistics, it's 80 or 90% of women want to learn more about financial planning and want to meet with a financial advisor and want to um, really look at their family finances. So the idea that women aren't interested I think fuels silence because then advisors don't talk to them. They tend to just talk to the male partner. I think that's shifting and changing, but that's certainly a hurtful myth. Uh, and the last one, and, and this is a broader one, but that clients don't want to talk about this emotional stuff. That's another thing. Like, I'm not comfortable. Uh, the therapist or the counselor should talk about these feelings. Uh, when, in fact, um, the other thing that I hear from time to time from advisors is, you know, my clients don't want to talk about this stuff. <laughs> well, is it, it is. your clients or is it you? And I think if you, yeah, and and I don't know if it was Julie or you, Steve, kind of if you give off that vibe that you don't want to talk about something, that reinforces that money silence. You People pick up on that, uh, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, what's okay to talk about and what's not okay to talk about. And more Often than not, if your clients talk about their feelings about money or passing on wealth, they're not going to fall apart in your office. They're going to be fine. In fact, they may even be better than when they came and in. And so you, you talked a little bit of it. So let's 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 build on that a little bit. Um, you know, if 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 the discomfort the discomfort is probably just as much on the advisor as on the client. And um, so we need we need to get those you know we need to get that conversation open. You know, what what can advisors do that would help sort of bre start breaking into that silence? Well, one of things that I have in the book and that I do often when I uh, present in the field is talk about advisors and clients money talk mindset. So to start by identifying what are your automatic thoughts and beliefs about talking about money? Where do they come from? What ones serve you and what ones get in the way? So for instance, um, I was raised with the idea that it was okay to talk about saving money was okay to talk about getting a bargain at the, you know, Filene's basement when it existed, um, but it wasn't okay to ask somebody their salary, or it wasn't okay to be profit motivated. So in some ways, that helps me because I'm a good saver, 
um, but it gets in the way if I want to run a successful business. So for advisors, taking the time to figure out what is their money talk mindset, what are those strengths and what are their challenges, and then how does that impact how they're working with clients and the questions that they're asking. And I think if people start to really look at where this comes from and how it serves them, and, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, then they can start to make shifts and changes. They're also role modeling to their clients that it's okay to look at this, that we're all in it together. Um, I often think advisors, you know, a lot of us have been taught to be experts. There's a lot of different tools. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going to go back to the book because there's a, there's a, at the end of every chapter, there's an exercise for your clients, but there's also an exercise for advisors on how to apply this to their practice. Um, I think the money talk mindset is the first exercise. I think that self-examination, that self-awareness is important. Um, but then it can take uh, a variety of different forms. Uh, one of the interesting ones that I did um, in the book that I think is kind of fun is the idea of looking at gender myths, of how are you buying into the myths about men and money and women and money, either consciously or unconsciously. And one way to do this is to uh, actually have a scavenger hunt. And so the idea is you spend a day uh, with your staff, or you can do it by yourself or with your family, and you look around and you just pay attention to all the different messages that are out there about money and about how it relates to gender and money. And you write all these instances down. And then at the end of the day, uh, you get together and you take a look at, wow, these are all the messages that we are getting um, that are influencing how we think about men and women and money. And then how does this impact my practice? Or if you do it with a family, how does this impact uh, how we are planning and for do our you financial find future? that just to... to uh... Gosh, I'm not even sure how to word this, but to help people break through. So, for example, if I'm struggling talking about money for whatever reason, maybe what I need to do is get with a group of women who are in a similar situation and talk about these things. And maybe the, the, then I could bring that back to my, my marriage. Uh, do you see advisors either facilitating that or do you encourage that in any way? Absolutely. In fact, I recently developed a uh, workshop for clients for a particular uh, client of mine, so a financial institution. And it was all about talking to the next generation about money. But instead of it being the technical aspects, it was much more around what are the things that uh, get in the way of talking about money? What are the ways in which maybe you want to talk about money or even maybe have a family that talks too much about money? Uh, and worries too much about money. And then how do we, um, as a group, start to have a conversation about this? And what was cool about this seminar that I didn't plan on happening uh, was, or, or maybe I did and it came to fruition, was the idea that um, people would get in the room and there was an introduction, you know, about the cost of money silence and, you know, what are the different things we need to be thinking about, financial literacy, emotional intelligence, um, you know, family values, goals and dreams, that kind of thing, and legacy. And then there was a big opportunity for people in the room to just connect. And what I've heard back, and this has been tested across the country, um, what I've heard back is that they are having trouble getting these clients out of the venue. Like people are <laughs> because once you open the dialogue, people want to talk about money and they want a safe place. So whether it's a group of all women, whether it's um, a mixed group or a group of dads and daughters or moms and you know sons, whatever it may be. My sense is people are hungry for this if if you just create a safe space to do that. And safe just means that there's a little bit of structure and people know you're a financial advisor 
they know you're not a therapist. So let's say an advisor gets into this and they begin working with clients to to start breaking through that money silence. Um, How does that change the experience that the advisor provides the client? Well, think about the last time you worked with somebody, whether it's an advisor or somebody else that really listened to you, that really seemed to kind of get you, that spent some time understanding where you were coming from, not only uh, financially, but also emotionally. And so if you think about those instances, often what ends up happening is you trust that person, you uh, may share more with that person, and, and the bond between you and that professional is going to be strengthened. So I truly believe if advisors take on the challenge, and I call it joining the breaking money silence revolution, so if they take on the challenge and say, I want to be a revolutionary, I want to coach my clients to talk about money or maybe continue to do this at a little bit of a deeper level, it's going to foster trust. It's going to help you meet the next generation because there's a variety of creative ways in which you can pull in the next generation to have these conversations with their parents or grandparents. And it's also um, going to help you connect more with women. So ultimately, I think breaking money silence is really something that's going to improve your client relationships right at a time where robo-advisors are freaking everybody out, right? What's one thing an advi- a robot cannot do? There was and, a, a group, uh, and they were, they were a family office, a very high net worth family office. And this is a first world problem to have, right? But the assumption was almost, we don't even need to talk to the kids. We just need to make sure they, you know, they'll inherit well. But they've got a lot of money coming to them. Whereas what they found was they they had these days where they would bring the, the next generation together and they would talk about things like, what is the downside of having the last name that you do, <laughs> right? Because they were all literally affiliated with names that were brands and and it created this uh, open conversation, the likes of which they'd never seen. And I thought that was a really interesting twist on the experience. Let me jump in with a quick story about my niece. Uh, my niece is 26. She works at a law firm. And when she first got this job two years ago, she called me up because she knew, oh, Auntie Kay is what they call me. <laughs> She's that aunt that will talk about anything. She has a career. <laughs> and so she calls me up and she said, I got offered a job. But I don't know if I should negotiate salary. So we went back at a couple of different phone calls. And basically, she was like a lot of women and maybe some men who feel as if if I don't take the first offer, the job offer is going to go away. And I said, listen, I said, I know I'm biased, but they offered you a job three hours after your interview and they offered you near the top range. They want you. And so we had this great um, money conversation about negotiating salary. And I coached her a little. She went off. She landed the position, since then has negotiated two or three raises, and is now coaching her girlfriends who are in the same uh, demographic. And so I feel like, wow, one really cool conversation with my niece led to this uh, ripple effect where we're starting to affect other millennial women uh, in terms of them advocating for themselves financially, and you're very talking empowering. now about a referral story. So you know, if let's say it weren't wasn't Auntie K that had that conversation, but the advisor who had that conversation, you know, how how can breaking the money silence, you know, help create more referrals? You know, are, are there are there mechan- are there processes like the one you just described that can help get word out to get more people interested in talking with that advisor? I think so, uh, Steve. I think one of the things that's sometimes hard to do, especially if you grew up in this industry when it was very transactional or you're still in a very transactional-oriented uh, 
you know, business model is the idea of meeting with uh, the next generation uh, and coaching them around real life financial issues. How do I buy my first mortgage? How do I negotiate a salary? How do I um, manage my student debt? Now, none of these are big money makers, right, for financial advisors. But if you think about the model of being almost a loss leader or creating, I like this one better, creating goodwill, um, my sense is that if you offer uh, that type of advice and you're willing to spend a little time giving it, um, that, you know, if I was an advisor and that wasn't my niece, let me tell you, she would be the first one to come and say, I w- when I have amassed wealth, I want to, you know, invest in you because you took a chance in me. And I think if we can do more of that, and I know advisors, realistically, you can't spend your whole day doing that, but could you put aside an hour a week for something like that and and really just give back in that well, way but, but you, and you know, see you're, you're, uh, what comes of it? And I think a lot can. I get the sense reading your book and listening to you that, that the you know, money silence is not something that's unique to younger people or the millennials. I mean, you, you were talking about the... Um, the families, you know, with with branded names before the families of high net worth. It seems like you know, this this is this is good. This is good information for advisors who have high net worth clients who are starting to think about you know, oh, you know, I'm going to pass you know these millions of dollars onto my kids. You know, maybe we should talk about something at some point. But I don't want to talk about the money with them. I don't want them to know how much I have. I mean, it it seems like it's just as valuable, maybe more valuable for for some of those folks as it is for the millennials. What do you, what do you think? I think breaking money silence is an equal opportunity uh, problem, and it could be an equal opportunity solution. So I don't think the socioeconomic status of your clients or the net worth matters. I think it's valuable at all ends of the spectrum. And so with uh, high net worth or ultra high net worth, I, I think the myth that's out there, a lot of advisors, I don't think buy into this anymore, but the myth is somehow, oh, they have a lot of money, they'll be fine. They don't, or they talk about money because they have money. That is not true. It is, as Julie alluded to, can be much more complicated if you are a parent who has money to then teach your kids how to be financially responsible. It, it's, it's just much more complicated. And so I think advisors need to take a step back and go, okay, who is my ideal client, number one? What are the conversations that maybe they might want to have but aren't having? And how might I be able to facilitate those? And it may even be, you know, asking your clients during their next annual meeting, you know, if there's one thing we're not talking about in our meeting, what is it? And what would you, um, you know, maybe we can build that into next year's engagement. So I think it's really a process of looking at what's your sweet spot, taking a look at your own relationship with money. This doesn't have to be super in depth. It could be just looking at your money talk mindset, uh, thinking a little bit about your own comfort level. And where your roadblocks might be. I think the second step is thinking about, okay, given my ideal client or the client that I'm meeting with this week, uh, what is one or two questions I might ask them? Uh, you could even say, hey, you know, I was listening to this great podcast and I heard that 44% of Americans would rather talk about death than finances. What's your reaction to that? I mean, that can open up a really interesting conversation. They could say, oh, you know, I, I find it hard sometimes to talk about uh, finance with my partner, and you might then start to find out where that comes from. Um, so there's a variety of very easy ways to just introduce the topic and just let your clients know that you're open to having these dialogues. I, I do these advisory boards, and I hear all Excellent. of these high net worth clients. You know, because the the firm's challenge, of course, is to connect to the next generation. 
And, you know, so we, we bring people together into the advisory board and we ask them about how to do that. And there are so many of them are just like, you know, I don't want my kids to, I don't want to, I don't want to talk with my kids about the money. I don't want my kids to know how much I have and all this kind of stuff. And the advisor's like, okay. And they let it drop. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you probably ought to pursue this conversation, but I, I mean, I, that's not my role in, in, in that situation, but boy, there are so many advisors that could, I think really benefit from hearing this conversation and figuring out how to talk with some of those because you know the, some of those clients are really just setting up their kids to have all kinds of problems because they don't know how much they're going to get they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to manage it you know the, you know the, these are like you know potentially life changing inheritances we're talking about well and I think one of the things just quickly Steve is that you know if the next time an advisor hears that from a client you know right. that oh I don't want to talk to my kids instead of just taking no for the first answer. Just yeah. ask a follow-up. You know, what do you think it would be like? What's your greatest fear? You know, what if it went well? What do you think would be different? Just gather more of what I would call that emotional data to then use that to then make a decision about that particular client, that particular family. I think the challenging part for people when it comes to talking about money and for advisors, is that there's not not a cookie cutter approach. It's a it's been a great conversation, but we do need to we need to wrap up. And uh, so, uh, Kathleen, where 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 can what tell us? You know, just remind everybody about the details about the book and 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 where can they find it? Sure, it's called Breaking Money Silence. Uh, the easiest way to find out more about the book is to go to the website breakingmoneysilence.com. There's a bunch of free tip sheets and things like that, both for clients as well as advisors. That's great. Well, Kathleen, thank you for joining us to Becoming Referrable podcast, and, uh, and thanks for sharing this with us. Thank you. So fun to talk with you two as well. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.